What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Hedging Screens podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Cronin. and I hope everybody is doing well mentally, physically, and emotionally. I'm, of course, always thankful that you guys would choose to spend some time here with me today. Um, yeah, oh, just figure I'll go ahead and get this out of the way. If there is like a shitload of background noise happening and it's being picked up through the microphone, it shouldn't be because the noise gate is, you know, the noise gate is up high enough. We're having some work done on my house. We're remodeling the downstairs bathroom because it is actually 70 years old and it's the only part of the house that we have not renovated yet. So it is getting a much needed overhaul and the contractor is here now taking care of all of that. It's actually like super weird because the first day I came in and my mom was like, go look at the bathroom. And I walked in. And it was like when you're you're playing Minecraft and you just walk into a and you just walk into a cave and you drop a block of TNT and it blows up and there's nothing there. That's what the bathroom looked like. It looked like the most normal bathroom in Wyoming. Just barren with just the studs. Not even no insulation, no nothing on the floor. There were the studs, the window, and there was the one shower head that he had yet to take out. It was the craziest fucking thing I had ever seen. So that is getting a much needed overhaul. But aside from that, we got a bunch of stuff that we're going to talk about today. Um, I'm not going to talk about any of the NFL stuff going on because I'm not I'm I'm not that guy. I know I'm not that guy. You know, they're talking about franchise tags and stuff like that. All I know is that the Giants need to do whatever possible to re-sign Saquon Barkley. There's also some rumblings that Daniel Jones is asking for 45 million dollars a year, which is just absolutely preposterous at this rate. Like, you know, a couple days ago I saw that he was asking for that the estimation was that he'd be getting around 35 million a year, which I think is manageable because he did show much improvement this year he was better with his turnovers of course the passing numbers the yards the touchdowns stuff like that were not where you would want them to be for a guy who's making 35 million a year but you also must remember the fact that this guy literally was throwing to nobody like he had no legit number one Kenny Galladay was literally relegated back to New Jersey I don't, I, I just don't get it. But yeah, $45 million for Daniel Jones is a lot of money. Certainly not what I would feel comfortable giving him just because I don't feel that even at his highest potential, I, I just don't feel that he is deserving of that kind of bag. So as you all know, this weekend, NBA All-Star Weekend, we're just going to go ahead and start off with that. Uh, did I watch a lot of All-Star Weekend? Yes and no. On and off. Unfortunately, I really wanted to watch All-Star Saturday night, but my grandma came down from upstate, and I hadn't seen her since July, so we were busy hanging out with the family. It was fun, but of course, I caught the highlights of everything on social media. The three-point shootout won by Damian Lillard. It was a Damian Lillard, Buddy Heald, Tyrese Halliburton final, I believe. Uh, the three-point shootout is by far the most entertaining event on Saturday night. It has it has overtaken the dunk contest as the much-see event in my estimation, and I will give my thoughts on this year's dunk contest as well, but I think in its totality, um, I don't believe that anyone is debating that the three-point shootout is the best, especially with the sheer volume of shooters that we have in the league today. Lowry Markkinen was there, Damian Lillard, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, um, just absolute snipers, Jason Tatum, Tyler Hero, who kind of underperformed a little bit given just like his proficiency from the outsider, like his profe- his his projected proficiency from the outside. But one guy, one individual who had negative business being in the three-point shootout, Julius Randle. What the fuck was Julius Randle doing at the three-point shootout? Over a guy like Contavious Caldwell-Pope, who is, I think, the second leading three-point shooter this year. Why was Julius Randle, who shoots 33% from downtown, present at the three-point shootout, and not even present at the three-point shootout, actively participating in it? Where did the league office go wrong? Did they want... I, mean, I understand them wanting more big representation at the three-point shootout because, you know, you had Cat win. Last year, Larry Markinen was there as well. But the difference between Cat and Markinen is that they are both better three-point shooters than Julius Randle. You could have asked, oh, I don't know, fucking Brooke Lopez to participate in the three-point shootout. Somebody like that. 
a stretch five who is actually a stretch five. But no, Julius Randle was there, and he was the worst performance that night, which is not to be surprised because he's just not a great three-point shooter. So I don't know if they wanted more big representation and if he got like bonus points for being a left-handed big as well because, of course, lefties, minority group, especially in the NBA. I don't know why he was there, but Damian Lillard put on a show. Buddy Heald put on a show. All those guys put on a show. It really is super satisfying watching these incredibly skilled marksmen just bounce from rack to rack and sink it. It's soothing. It's therapeutic. It's like ASMR almost. If there was no commentary, and unfortunately there has to be fucking commentary from the TN the NBA on TNT crew. If there was no commentary and it was just the snapping of the net and you know the player jostling the balls around, it would be a legitimate ASMR experience. So shout out to the three-point shootout. I think the NBA should really consider moving the three-point shootout to be the Saturday night finale because it is the best. It is the most entertaining. It is the most entertaining event in its totality as well. The only thing is that, you know, it's over relatively quickly. I think the highlight video for the three-point shootout was like nine and a half minutes long. But then again, the dunk contest really doesn't take that long either way. And Speaking of the dunk contest, I'm so congested today. I have, I just, I don't know why. The dunk contest, or should I say the Mac McClung showing, the performance put on by that young man. Someone on TNT, I believe it was Shaq, it was either Shaq or Kenny said that Mac McClung saved the dunk contest. There was widespread admiration for the show that he put on and he did in fact put on a show starting off strong jumping over not one but two people stacked on top of one another not only doing that but bouncing the ball off the backboard as well he then had that hezzy reverse tomahawk he did a fucking 540 as well with his high school jersey on he did another dunk oh he did like this it was like a it was some like 360 reverse Tomahawk or something, I don't I don't even know how to describe it. But man, what a performance from Mac McClung. And this is the beef I have with like the dunk contest in general. Is that one, my first beef is that Carl Malone was there. Why the fuck was Carl Malone involved in any capacity? I'm so thankful that we can finally have the discourse about Carl Malone being a pedophile because he has somehow evaded this. For like 40 years. For those of you guys who don't know, Carl Malone, when he was at, I, I think he was already in college. He was def, he was 18 at the time. He impregnated a 13-year-old girl. He, an 18-year-old, impregnated a 13-year-old girl. And there has just been nothing that's come of it. There have been no repercussions. The NBA has never said anything about it. Whenever there is an event honoring an NBA legend, Carl Malone is there. He was obviously put on the NBA 75th all-time team. He was in Salt Lake City because he is a jazz a jazz legend. But Bamani Jones had an interesting theory on this that kind of makes sense. A lot of the a lot of the older school guys who stay out of the public light do not really get a lot of shit for their like actual actually harmful discretions that they've committed. Like people like Russell Westbrook, for example, he's not an older guy, but he's someone who gets shit on a lot and it's all undeserved because it's all like off the court shit that doesn't go on, like that isn't relevant to the game, like him being cancerous in the locker room or whatever. Or like a guy like Allen Iverson who spent years getting shit on just for how just for how he looked and how he and how he um presented himself getting shit on for that and then you have a guy like Carl Malone who is an actual pedophile being welcomed by the NBA and like being revered by the NBA I don't understand and again getting before I got sidetracked Bamani Jones is like Carl Malone just hangs out in Louisiana or wherever the fuck he lives hangs out on his farm um, you know, rides tractors, stacks hay, I don't know, milks cows, whatever the fuck guys like Carl Malone do in their spare time. That's all he does. He chills. 
And because he's not in the public spotlight all the time, no one is like really digging into his career because Carl Malone is also not really one of those NBA legends who people are, you know, actively looking for because he played in Utah for a fucking long ass time, never accomplished anything with John Stockton, at least in regards to like winning championships and having a, a successful tenure and all that is the, what is it? The second leading scorer in NBA history. So, I mean, he's known, but he's not, you know, being actively searched for in the same way that people are searching for guys like Bill Russell before he passed or Kareem guys who were out and visible and, you know, always maintained relative prominence as a public figure. So I don't, again, that was super long winded of me. I don't understand why the fuck Carl Malone was there. It was stupid. I understand it was in Salt Lake city, but like guys, guys, he's a pedophile. The, my favorite meme from Saturday night was when Jericho Sims had that God awful dunk where he put his elbow in the rim and then opened up that envelope. <laughs> and someone said this dunk would have actually been deserving of a 50 if he opened up the envelope and it was an arrest warrant for Carl Malone. And I agree on that 100%. But just getting back to the dunk contest. So I'm trying to remember who the fucking four contestants were. There's Trey Murphy, Jericho Sims, Mac McClung. I can't even remember. I can't even remember who the who the third guy, who the fourth guy was. Why am I? Trey Murphy. Trey Murphy. Kenyon Martin Jr. Oh my God. Talk about the most forgettable evening. This is my beef with the dunk contest is that. The, it's just bad. It, okay, I don't want to say it's bad, but it's just we've seen everything already. We've seen every dunk done every which way, done every ju just done multiple times. So it's very rare that you get a a cohesive dunk contest where everybody is wowing you. Jericho Sims stunk. Trey Murphy the third had uh, Trey Murphy had a decent. Showing he had that one dunk where it was a self alley oop under his leg from the three point line. That was a super sick dunk. Mac McClung was, of course, awesome. But then, like, Kenyon Martin really didn't bring anything to the table. But I think that outside of shitting on everyone, I don't really want to turn this into like a hater fest. But yeah, Sims was bad. Kenyon Martin Jr. was forgettable. Trey Murphy, someone called him consistent. I think it was Kenny Smith, which I'll say that, you know, he had a very consistent performance, very, um, like not memorable, but not regrettable or forgettable. One of those, one of those two adjectives, but Mac McClung stole the show 100%. Not only did he have unique dunks with unique twists, they had just enough flair to where the audience was captivated, but not bored by the setup. That's a huge thing that a lot of dunkers do is that when the dunk itself isn't that great, they try to stretch it out by having all of this foreplay that leads up to the dunk. He did not do that. Minimal setup. Um, oh, the one the one dunk that Trey Murphy had where Jose Alvarado came and tapped and stole the ball from behind and then threw it off the and then threw it off the glass. That was, I think, a unique take. I think that that was a unique dunk. But yeah, Mac McClung. I don't know if he saved the dunk contest because I think the dunk contest is beyond the point of saving. But he had an all time performance. I think I will. I think it's safe to say. Was it VC in two thousand? No. Was it Zach Levine, Aaron Gordon back in 2016? No. Was it, you know, Dominique Wilkins? Was it um, was it Michael Jordan worthy? No, but it was a very good, very solid, very enjoyable dunk contest, dunk contest experience. And I think that as as the years go by, we will look back more and more fondly on his performance in particular. Now, the thing that I think the NBA should do with the dunk contest in order to save it, I guess, is stop asking NBA players to be in the dunk contest. And I know it's super weird to say that because it's NBA All-Star Weekend. You're honoring the players, the players who dunk the best, the players who dunk the hardest, the players who dunk with the most energy. But the dunk contest should be reserved for dunking professionals. There are professional dunkers out there who live for this kind of thing. And that was what I saw from Mac McClung was I didn't see a basketball player because he's in the G League and I don't even know how well he's doing in the G League, but he signed a 10-day with Philly or something. Um, I don't know if he's going to have a lengthy NBA career. I don't know if he's going to be a good NBA player, but he is a professional dunker. 
And that's why he did so well in this contest. Because if you look at it in the same way that three-point shooting is a skill, the guys in the three-point shoot the guys in the three-point shootout are elite shooters. Tatum, Buddy Heald, Halliburton, Dame. It is a skill that they work on because it is it's a skill that is pertinent to their game. Dunking is not inherently something that players need to practice all the time. Dunking with flair is not something that guys are devoting a lot of physical energy to because it's not going to benefit their game. Being able to do a but uh, through the legs 360 is really not in the cards for you because you're going to get maybe three opportunities to do that all season long because the score has to be right. The time of the game has to be right. The circumstances has to be right. It's just not something that comes up a lot. So these guys, instead of focusing on dunks, which they're only doing for maybe like a couple of weeks before the contest, when they're aware they're going to be in the contest, they're focusing on literally any other skill that would benefit them. Ball handling, shooting, um, being in the weight room, stuff like that. So, yeah, I think the NBA, and I've been saying this for a few years, but I think the NBA just needs to consider, you know, finding a way to incorporate actual dunkers into the dunk contest because it's just, it's it's too far gone. I think it's beyond fixing. When it's good, it's great, but when it's bad, it sucks. That's just how the dunk contest is. It is a very boom or bust event unfortunately and it's every and it's only every so often that you get like a very very good a very impressive performance from multiple people like i don't know if we'll ever see vc in 2000 ever again i actually i know for a fact we will never see vince carter in 2000 ever again i don't believe we'll ever see a duel like we saw in 2016 between gordon and levine um but yeah i guess getting back to my original point as i go off on yet another tangent Find a way to incorporate professional dunkers into the dunk contest. Whether it is work, whether it is them working with the NBA players, whether it is them being actively involved in the contest as well, or the most radical idea is just scrapping the dunk contest as a whole and replacing it with something a little bit more exciting, like a king of the court or like a 2v2, something like that, where, you know, you have guys who are able to showcase their basketball skills in a more relaxed setting. But yeah, shout out to Mac McClung. He was fucking awesome. I will not take that away from him. But it just goes back to I see him more as a professional dunker because there's just something about certain people when they dunk where it's different. And the fact that he also hit all of his dunks on the first try is another thing that... Just further, that further illustrates to me that he was born to do stuff like that. But the way he moves, the way he dunks, it just looks different. I don't know how to explain it. And, you know, with just like the ease that he's able to contort his body and the way he's able to manipulate himself in space is, it's incredible. It was, it was a treat to watch, even though I didn't get to watch it live. Um, another beef I have with the dunk contest is that the crowd, again, I feel like the crowd is just, I feel that the crowd is just mid all the time. I don't know, I don't know what it is with them. Obviously, with certain dunks, it's expected. Like, Jericho Sims' incredibly bad fucking dunks were just like, they were bad, dude. They, they were bad. And I understand why people didn't get up for that. But I even feel that. I even feel that when Mac was dunking, they were just not into it. And I don't understand. I don't understand. Like, no one's getting up out of their seats. The players, of course, are juiced. I mean, watching Giannis, watching Giannis is just so pure because he just loves this. He just loves everything about the NBA. So, I mean, I love that the players got hype. How when Mac did that 540, like, he got mobbed by everybody on the bench. But the crowd is super mid a lot of the time which really does not add anything. The commentary is also just the fucking worst. Every dunk that happens, Reggie Miller provides negative insight, and all he says is, bro, look at his head. Look at where his head is. Like, dog. Did you see the dunk? The dunk was ass. Why do I give a fuck about if he's looking down into the rim when all he's doing is putting his elbow into it? Like, Jericho Sims is 6'11 with, like, a 50,000-inch vertical. 
he should be looking down into the rim. But nah, Reggie Miller is just talking about head all the time. Look at where that man's head is. Look at how high he is. He's looking down into the rim like, Reggie, shut the fuck up, please, and provide some insight. Tell us whether or not the dunk was bad. Like, Draymond was doing it. Shaq does it. Kenny does it from time to time. Like, God, stop talking about looking at their fucking head. Okay, so now we're actually going to move on to the All-Star game. And I don't have any commentary on the All-Star game because it's the All-Star game. It's a glorified pickup game, and that's fine. A bunch of money went to charity, which is always nice. But um, ultimately, the All-Star game is nothing to write home about. 55 points from Jason Tatum, though, setting a new All-Star game record, uh, in which I believe it was Damian Lillard who hit the game-winning shot for Team Giannis. But Michael Malone head coach of the Denver Nuggets who is the head coach of the what who is the head coach of who the, who the fuck was he the head coach of team Giannis or something i don't even know um okay he called the 2023 all-star game the worst basketball game ever played obviously he has never seen any game played before like 1957 when folks were shooting 13% from the field, and the final score was like 63 to 59. 2023 NBA All-Star Game was filled with rim-rattling dunks. 2023 NBA All-Star Game was filled with rim-rattling dunks and half-court shots. Boston Celtics star Jason Tatum scored 55 to break the All-Star Game record. Fans enjoyed the flashy plays. The flash play, I think that should say flashy. Fans enjoyed the flash plays and showed their approval as Team Giannis defeated Team LeBron 184-175 in Salt Lake City. But defense was clearly optional Sunday night, and it's something that irked Denver Nuggets head coach Mike Malone as he ripped the lack of competitive play in his postgame comments. Quote, it's an honor to be there. It's an honor to be part of a great weekend, great players, but that is the worst basketball game ever played. They put on a show for the fans, but that is tough. But that is a tough game to sit through. I'm not going to lie. Malone was not alone in his in his in his assertions. ESPN commentator Stephen A. Smith echoed similar comments on first take on Monday morning. He mentioned that players have shown more effort in summer pickup games. I applaud Coach Malone for highlighting the flagrant lack of effort uh, in basketball. They play in the summer league. They play in the offseason considerably harder than they played yesterday. Hell no, I didn't enjoy it. It just reeks of a level of arrogance and taking fans. For granted, the NBA has worked to improve the All-Star game in recent years. The league introduced the Elam the Elam ending, which is popular in the basketball tournament, to create a competitive event. Uh, quote, there was no effort whatsoever. What we should be able to see other than dunks, we should not be able to look at a basketball game and know that anybody can be on the court with you based on the effort you are putting on display. It just reeks of arrogance and taking fans for granted. I fucking hate these people so much. I hate... Every time someone talks about the fucking All-Star game and how bad it is and how poor the defense is, like, bitch, what do you want? What do you expect? It is a glorified pickup game. That's what it is. It is a mid-season pickup game. Guys are tired. This is the only legitimate break that they have all season long, and they have to play. They have to play Sunday. And you really think that they're going to just fucking, like, go super hard as if this game is actually meaningful in any capacity? Of course not, because they only have four days off anyway before they get back to it on Thursday. Yes, the effort is bad. Yes, there's no defense, but we don't want to watch, we don't want to see defense in the All-Star game. I'm going to be honest. As a fan, I don't want to watch people D up in the All-Star game. I want to watch Kyrie go one-on-one with somebody. I want to watch LeBron dunk. I want to watch Giannis dunk. I want to watch Steph shoot from 35 like there's a reason why folks don't like when Draymond Green is in the all-star game and and when Rudy Gobert is in the all-star game because it's supposed to be entertaining and the fact of the matter is that defensive first basketball is just not entertaining at least not for a full 48 minutes or however long these quarters may take that's simply not how it goes and then for like Stephen A. Smith to get on his high horse and be like oh well we don't it just look uh we should not be able to look at a basketball game and know that anybody can be on the court with you based on the effort you're putting on display, except that that is just simply not true. To think that anybody could step on the court with 24 NBA All-Stars and them think that they can compete, that that's not true, Stephen A. That's simply incorrect. No one can. You cannot hop on the court regardless of how bad the effort is in the All-Star game. 
and and even come anywhere close to what these guys are doing. Do you know why? Because you're not in the fucking NBA. And to earn that honor, you have to be one of the 0.01% of the 0.01%. So it just, it, it bothers me so incessantly because we have this discourse every year. And for some reason, people who are in the league cannot come to grips with the fact that the All-Star game is simply for fun. Who cares? Who cares if there's no defense? Who cares? Watch these guys dunk. Watch these guys dribble. Watch these guys go out and have fun. Okay? And to chalk it up to we've seen guys go harder in the summer league. We've seen guys go harder in pickup games during the summer. Well, in the summer league, a lot of the the dudes that are playing in the summer league are not playing in the all-star game. The dudes playing in the summer league are playing for their career. They're playing for their career while the folks in the all-star game are playing for charity. In pickup games. Okay, I may see your point as well in pickup games, but it's not all the time. Even still, pickup games, not a lot of defense being played. I don't know what pickup game Stephen A. Smith is going to where guys are actually Ding up. Because if you go down to your local rec center, you go down to the Y, you go down to LA, you go down to a fucking court in Timbuktu in the middle of July, folks are not Ding up. Okay. No one D's up in pickup basketball. This is this is a known fact. It just happens. That's why it's called LA Fitness Defense, because there is none. And if they are playing pickup games and if they are going hard in pickup games, it's because they're playing for bragging rights and also because they're trying to get in shape for the season. Like when we watch the Rico Hines runs at UCLA, that's guys getting ready to be in shape for the season. And a lot of the times when those guys get there, it's not really Kawhi. It's not Devin Booker. It's not Kevin Durant. Those dudes do show up. But when they do, it's a spectacle and it gets, you know, treated as such. It's Dudes like Montrez Harrell, guys like Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, Chris Boucher. And typically, they'll team up to try to build a little bit of chemistry with one another. But to think that, you know, it is foolish for anyone to think that any athlete is going to put the same amount of effort into an all-star game as they are a regular season game. Even if it's a regular season game in November, you you got me fucked up because I would not be that dumb. I'm sorry. If you think that, you're dumb. So, I'm listen, that's a dumb take. It's a dumb take from Stephen A. I think that is a dumb take from Michael Malone to say that, like, to just chastise the game so much. Because, like, what do you expect? It's just, I think the expectations with the All-Star game are too high. I think the expectations with every All-Star game across any sport is too high. Because... Uh, yeah, I can't, I can't even rant about this anymore. I'm getting, like, I'm getting very <laughs> weirdly upset over this. I mean, like, these guys are entitled to their opinion. I just think that their opinion is a little off base. And quite frankly, I think I'm just fed up of hearing shit like this because it's every year. And it's like no one can just fucking enjoy the game. Just enjoy, enjoy the all-star game. Enjoy the relaxed environment. Enjoy these players while they're all on the court together. Because... They won't be at some point. Just enjoy it. If it's not the best game, that's fine. Because guess what, dog? We got playoff races coming up. We got the playoffs coming up. The finals will be here in four, in less than four months. It's going to be a great time to watch competitive, meaningful basketball. And if you're going to the All-Star game for that, you better start looking elsewhere. So we're going to get into a little bit of news now, ladies and gentlemen, boys and, gir- boys and girls. Uh, I don't know what I want to start with. First, um, I'm thinking, you know, the Russ news. So Russ is finalizing buyout plans with the Utah Jazz, and he has all of the intentions of signing with the Los Angeles Clippers. That is, of course, coming from the best in the game, the best to ever do it, I would say, Adrian Wojnarowski. This was, um, I don't know when this news dropped. I got word of it this morning. So maybe it came out on Monday. I mean, this article was posted on Monday, it seems. But Woj says, after completing a contract buyout, nine-time All-Star guard Russell Westbrook plans to sign with the LA Clippers. His agent, Jeff Schwartz of XL Sports, told ESPN. With Westbrook and the Utah Jazz finalizing the buyout on the remaining $47 million owed on his expiring deal, the former NBA MVP will return to Los Angeles, this time with the Clippers. He was officially waived by the Jazz on Monday afternoon, the league announced. The Clippers have become increasingly interested 
with Russell Westbrook, his team officials, including Ty Lue and basketball and president of basketball ops, Lawrence Frank, dug into a series of conversations with Rus- with Westbrook. Those discussions centered on Westbrook's willingness to fit into a clear and specific role with the Clippers built around his playmaking, rebounding, and toughness. Westbrook, 34, joins a Clippers core that has championship aspirations and includes his former teammate, Paul George. Westbrook had discussed deals with Chicago, Washington, and Miami, but the chance to compete for a championship and remain in L.A., played a significant part in his decision to choose the Clippers. The Lakers traded Westbrook in a 2027 first-rounder to the Jazz as part of a three-team deal on Wednesday. After a tumultuous season-plus with the Lakers, Westbrook took time to decompress and consider his responsi- and consider his possibilities. Pardon me. Westbrook embraced a six-man role with the Lakers, averaging 16 points, six boards, and seven-and-a-half assists in just about 28 minutes per game. Jazz CEO Danny Ainge, GM Justin Zanuck, and coach Will Hardy told Westbrook on Friday that they would welcome him reporting to the team, but the organization was prioritizing and playing it was prioritizing and playing its younger players and would make no assurances on minutes or role size. So, of all of the teams Russ was considering, I think that he made the best choice in going to LA. You could have made a you could have made an argument for Wash for Chicago, pardon me. Um but I don't think that he would. I don't think you'd want to go to Chicago because they're not going to win. They're not winning shit this year. It was also just announced that Lonzo Ball is going to be out for the remainder of the season. So the Chicago is cooked, unfortunately. Washington also cooked. Not going to do anything there except waste his time. Uh, Miami could have been a potential landing ground, landing spot, I should say. But I feel that it would have just been a situation where. He was in a role similar to where he was with LA, where he's with Jimmy Butler and Bam, and both of these guys are more ball dominant than I think Kawhi and Paul George are. They're just they're just more they're just inherently more ball dominant than those two are. So I I think it could have worked in Miami, but also um, yeah, again I just think that LA was the best landing spot for him. So the Clippers, as it stands right now, and I also didn't realize that Russ was actually low key putting up numbers. This year, I mean, 15, 15, 6, and 7.5 and for a six-man is pretty good. Of course, his shooting efficiency has been and probably will always be his biggest blemish. But as it stands, L.A. is 33-28, and 28, which is pretty good considering that Kawhi has only played in 34 games this year, um, considering that they also didn't really have, like, a legitimate point guard. I mean, John Wall was great, but it just, you know, I think that Russ brings a better version of John Wall to this team. And I think that he will fare better than John Wall did. I also don't even remember why they wound up trading John Wall. But yeah, so the the whole thing with the with his time with the Lakers is that again, I, I'm a fucking broken record, man. He never should have went there. He was never going to fit well on the on the Los Angeles Lakers because there was a defined hierarchy already with LeBron and with Anthony Davis. But it's not the already defined hierarchy that was the problem. It was how they handled the rock, how that hierarchy handled the rock, where in you're going to have LeBron facilitate everything all the time because he is LeBron James, because he's one of the greatest players of all time. He's going to be the guy that starts the offense. He's going to be the guy who handles the ball most of the time. And Westbrook struggles playing off the ball, largely because he's not a great shooter, but, you know, he just struggles off the ball. Sometimes, you know, it works out well. He's able to create if the ball's moving, but also that previous Lakers team did not have many weapons. This Clippers team is much more set up for success than that Lakers team, hence the reason why they're 33-28, and 28, despite the fact that Kawhi has missed like like a third of the season already. They're fourth in points allowed per game, 10th in defensive rating, 19th in offensive efficiency. I think that Russ will make this offense a little bit better because as I already mentioned, having a clearly defined facilitator is huge for any team looking to contend for a title. This Clippers team with Kawhi and Paul George, neither of them are like... They are not ball dominant, ball dominant playmakers. They're shot creators and they're fantastic at they're fantastic at putting the ball in the basket. I mean, 45 points between them. Both of them are shooting above 45% from the floor. Kawhi is closer to 50. They're both at 38% from three. But 
I mean, they're just not great game managers. They're not great facilitators. And it's because it's simply not in their skill set. And Russ, all the things that you can say about him, he's a great facilitator. He's been a great facilitator for the entirety of his career, regardless of how he gets those assists. He has been one of the best passers in regards to volume the NBA has ever seen. I mean, this guy's had like five seasons where he's averaged a triple-double. I mean, you could say that he doesn't have the sixth sense of someone like Chris Paul, LeBron James, but it is getting to the paint. Getting into the paint is a skill. Being able to find your bigs around the basket is a skill. Being able to drive and kick is a skill. So those are all things that are in Russ's repertoire. And then also, again, the intensity that he brings on defense, his ability to rebound for a guard as well, because that's a part of his game that is huge and that is much different from a guy like John Wall, for example, whereas Russ can crash the glass and immediately start the break. And although this Clippers team is not particularly young, they do have guys who can get out and run. You have Terrence Mann, although he was recently traded I believe uh, you have, again, Paul George, Kawhi, Norman Powell, Marcus Morris, again, an older guy, but someone who you can find trailing. For example, Bones Highland, also another young guy who could potentially break out and find his rhythm playing alongside somebody like Russell Westbrook. Um, so I think, you know, do I think this move puts the Clippers over the over the edge? Um, Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know if Russ is the piece that, you know, brings them a championship. But I do think that he will fare better with the Clippers than he did with the Lakers. And also because the Clippers, you know, added Mason Plumlee, added Bones Highland, added Eric Gordon. So they've been trying to get stronger, particularly on offense, because that's been their weakest link this far, or that's been their weakest, that's been the weakest aspect of their game plan. But I think Russ fills a role that they needed, especially now, that they are Sands, Reggie Jackson, and um, John Wall because they literally have no other they they have no other point guard that they can rely on. What are you gonna do? Have Bones Highland play point guard? I'm I'm sure as shit not doing that. That's not his game. That's not his game. So I think you know Russ does have a chance here to really like not necessarily set the record straight, but this guy's been getting so much shit for being unable to produce with the Lakers. And, you know, very few people, at least in like prominent media positions, have attributed that to the fact that it was just a bad fit. So if he goes to the Clippers and he plays well and he starts looking like, you know, Russ when he was with the Rockets, for example, maybe not the same volume, but shooting 46, 47% from the field, crashing the glass, allowing the offense to run smoothly. I think the perception around Russell Westbrook will change and maybe, you know, maybe the Lakers and Rob Polinka will still fi- will finally get some shit and they will finally be held accountable for putting Russ in a position where he was never going to succeed. Okay. Next up, Jacques Vaughn got an extension. This is a light story, nothing too crazy. Me as a Nets fan, I'm very excited to see JV being with the team long time. Of course, if you guys have been following me for the last couple of years or so, you know that Jacques Vaughn was my preferred hire over Steve Nash. Again, don't know what don't know what anybody saw in Steve. I just I simply still to this day cannot understand it. But yet here we are. So Woj again is just beating ass when it comes to reporting. Jacques Vaughn has agreed to an extension that is expected to keep him under contract through the 26-27 season. The Nets announced the new deal on Tuesday. Uh, Brooklyn has the fifth best record at 32 and 19 since Vaughn took over for Steve Nash on November 1st. The Nets are 34 and 24 overall and fifth in the Eastern Conference. That, of course, includes the games that they've played without Kevin Durant and without Kyrie. And I think they're like, I think they're like three and two, or now like two and three or something in those games. Vaughn has shown himself to be the stabilizing leader the franchise has wanted and to coach, and now he gets a long-term commitment to carry the Nets through the post-Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving eras in Brooklyn. Jacques has made an immediate and immeasurable impact on our entire organization since assuming the role of head coach on court. He's clearly, he's clearly demonstrated his leadership through his ability to connect and communicate at a very high level while displaying tremendous instincts for the game. As a person, they don't come any better than Jacques. Listen, I'm all I'm down to talk about how lovely of an individual Jacques Vaughn is and how great he is in the locker room and how much the players respect him and everything. But that's like... Teams don't give extensions based off of vibes. 
and his vibes are immaculate, of course. The reason he got this extension is because he's a damn good coach. That's it. Listen, he's great, and they mentioned that incredible leadership, uh, you know, a stabilizing figure as well, someone who's very calm, cool, and collected. But again, it's his ability to manage a basketball game that proved to the Nets front office that he deserves to be the guy who leads this team through the rebuild. Just how he manages timeouts more effectively than Steve Nash did. How he manages minutes more effectively than Steve Nash did. How he's just got a better understanding of which players on the team work best alongside one another. And again, this all comes from the previous experience that he's had as a head, as um as an assistant, not just with Brooklyn, but in general. Spending time with the uh, I don't even know. Let's let's look at it. Let's let's pull this shit up. Let's look at where he spent his time. Okay. So Jacques Vaughn, as an assistant coach with the Spurs, with the Magic, and then with Brooklyn since 2016, 2017, this guy has seen so many different iterations of this franchise. He's he's seen in a he's seen a preposterous amount of roster turnover. He's been with the team when they were bad. He's been with the team when they were mid. And he's been with the team when they were championship contenders. And everything that he's learned over that time has come to fruition this year. All of the all of the things I've mentioned already, but also just being able to develop a game plan on both ends of the floor, which Steve Nash was, you know, incapable of doing largely because he was a rookie head coach. Also getting the players to buy in to certain concepts, um, namely playing defense and rebounding. Yes, folks, it is still it's 2023. And folks are just like still as a head coach, incapable of getting their players to buy into things. But I guess that's a byproduct of when your vibes are shot and when also the locker room recognizes that you had no business being in the locker room in the first place. So shout out to JV. Uh, I'm super stoked to see him, you know, be the coach of this team for the next couple of years. And I hope that everything goes well um, in the development roles with Cam Thomas and, um, you know, McCall Bridges, Nick Claxton. Who knows? Who knows, man? I'm not trying to get too ahead of myself because we still have to see how this season plays out. But uh, they got a good coach. They've got a bunch of high-quality pieces. Let's see what happens. So there were also... um, Oh, okay. Before we get into like the non-news portion of the broadcast, I guess, um, this was announced this morning, Tuesday morning, that Lonzo Ball will miss the remainder of the 2022-2023 season with... Uh, that knee injury that he's been battling. Ball continues to experience discomfort discomfort during basketball activities despite arthroscopic knee surgery before the season. This is courtesy of Jamal um, Collier? C-O-L-L-I-E-R. I'm, again, horrible with last names. Jamal Collier. Collier, I don't, I don't know what his name is. I'm sorry, bro. Um, Ball did not appear in a game this season and has not played since January 14th, so he's been gone for more than a year. And he will be on the ice for about 18 months um, before he makes his debut next season. God, hopefully everything goes well with his continued rehab. So that way he is healthy for the following year. He's undergone two surgeries on his left knee since then in late 2022 and again in September. But despite small improvements, he's still not been able to run, cut, or jump without pain. All three of those, of course, are instrumental being a basketball player quote despite making significant increases in strength and function over the past several months ball continues to experience performance limiting discomfort during participation in high level basketball related activities considering the required time period to achieve the necessary level of fitness to return to play in the current state of the nba season ball will not return the focus for him will continue to be on the resolution of his discomfort and a full return for next season so the bulls are cooked man Absolutely cooked. Um, they've signed Patrick Beverly now in an attempt to replace Lonzo Ball, but they're cooked. Um, there was, you know, a, a point in time a couple weeks ago where they looked like they were getting ready to make a push for a late or for a lower tier playoff seed. You know, DeMar was balling. Zach Levine was balling as well. They won, they won four or five games before losing like six games leading into the All-Star break. And yeah, they're absolutely shot. And, you know, there were talks back in like December or so if Chicago was going to blow it up. And I felt that if 
DeMar and Levine were able to at least bring this team close to 500 to 500, maybe a little bit above by the time Lonzo Ball returned, they would be a frightening matchup in the postseason because Lonzo Ball adds so much to that team's dynamic, his playmaking, um, his basketball IQ. He's just a marvelous passer. He's an incredible facilitator. He's a great rebounder. He's a much improved three-point shooter, and he's an elite defender as well. And he's got great size at the guard position. So you're looking at a at a wing lineup that is Lonzo Ball, who's like 6'7", Zach Levine, who's like 6'5", and DeMar DeRozan, who's also like 6'7". That is a lot of size, a lot of length, a lot of athleticism, and also a lot of talent. So, you know, couple that with Nikola Vucevic, Patrick Williams as well. And, you know, you're looking at a team who could have maybe made a run deep into the playoffs, but without Lonzo Ball, they're not doing that because he just brings so much to this team. He adds such an interesting dynamic that Chicago... That Chicago utilized masterfully, and it sucks that he's not going to be healthy because on top of that, he's a fun guy to watch. Again, he's a great passer. Um, that's 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 really it. So Chicago is cooked. It is really interesting to see where they're going to go this offseason, though, with DeMar, with Vooch. Uh, I think Vooch is a free agent, though, uh, with Levine. See if like they do maybe take a look at blowing it up, and they offload someone like Zach Levine to the New York Knicks like there were rumors about, but... Yeah, man, it sucks. I'm actually, I was actually not a Bulls fan, but legitimately bummed when this when this news dropped that Zoe was gonna be out because I'd love to see them in the playoffs. I think that they could they could have probably gotten away with an upset in the first round, especially when you consider that by the time the playoffs rolled around, Zoe would have been at full strength, maybe like ninety percent or so. And then yeah, just all of those things that he does. On the court, his ability to manipulate the offense as well, his um, his ability to also find Demar and Levine in their spots, and just also occupy defense's attention because his improved three point shot, I think, was part of the reason why the Bulls were so lethal before his injury, because defenses had to guard him, which was not the case when he first broke into the league. But now he is a legitimately, he's a legitimately um, viable threat. From the perimeter. So super bummed. Now we're going to move on to a little bit of goofiness, a little bit of comments from Kevin Durant and LeBron James. So I apologize, but this tweet is courtesy of the steamy, the steamy turd that is After the, the league is clutch more. points Twitter account. Um, Kevin Durant the other day or at some point was asked about like big time players requesting trades. And if that's bad for the league, let's just hear his thoughts on that. As to the league, more people are more excited. The tweets that I got and the, the 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 news hits that we got from me being traded, Kyrie being traded, just bring more attention to the league. And that's really what makes you money is when you get more attention. So um, I think it's great for the league, to be honest. Teams been trading players and making acquisitions for a long time. Now when a player can, you know, uh, kind of dictate where he wants to go and leaving free agency or demand a trade is just part of the game now so i don't think it's a bad thing it's bringing more and more excitement um, to the game i don't think it's bad for and that's facts we've seen we've had this conversation before it's just been a little different because all the time because every time we've had this conversation it's been about free agency it's been about players being disloyal to their teams by leaving them after the teams have given so much. Meanwhile, the organization would be the first one to offload that player if a better player came around regardless of that player's loyalty. So loyalty in sports in general just does not fucking exist. And I hate when people talk about it. It is unironically like a... It is unironically like ruling class propaganda because the people who run these businesses are going to do what's best for them. They're not thinking about loyalty. The Portland Trailblazers do not give a fuck that Damian Lillard is loyal to them. They only give a fuck about Damian Lillard's loyalty because there's no, there's been nobody better to come around since him, which is, of course, a testament to his skill level, but do not get it twisted. A guy like Damian Lillard, who gave, who's giving his career to the Portland Trailblazers, who is, you know, sacrificing his legacy, quote-unquote, to the Portland Trailblazers, if they felt that there was a better player that could do more for them now, he'd be gone. It's just the nature of the business. So I don't want to hear anyone defending these organizations for treating their players 
so well for being loyal. It's bullshit. Now, when it comes to big-time players requesting trades, is it good for the league? Is it bad for the league? I don't think it's either. I just think that it is a part of sports. Players request trades all the time. It happens all the time. There is no way to fix this. There is nothing that Adam Silver can do to step in and and fix this quote-unquote problem, this quote-unquote epidemic of big-time players not fulfilling their contracts with these organizations. And he can't do it because there's no solution that would go along with the player empowerment narrative because players request trades from organizations when the organization sucks or they no longer have any prospects with that organization. Kevin Durant only requested a trade after Kyrie Irving had been traded. Kevin Durant requested a trade because the prospect of him winning a championship with the Brooklyn Nets was gone. That's why he did it. I don't think that's a bad thing for him to do. I think that's the sensible thing for any athlete to do. I mean, look at all this shit LeBron went through when he was in Cleveland for the first time. All the shit they put him through. And he didn't request a trade. Not that I can remember. I mean, I was like, what, 10 years old, 12 years old? But still, when Kobe requested a trade, when he uh, called the Lakers from the parking lot of the Staples Center and requested a trade, why did he do it? Because he was upset with how the fucking organization was handling him and Shaq and basically fucking up their championship aspirations. So I don't buy anyone's opinion who actually believes that these guys requesting trades is bad because it's it's not. It's the nature of the business. It's going to happen. And players will stop requesting trades when the organizations are actually ran how they're supposed to be. When the people running these orgs prioritize winning over the bottom line. There are organizations that do that. There, do you think like it's a fucking? Do you think that there is like some mysterious reason as to why Kevin Durant requested a trade from Brooklyn, but Steph, nor Clay, nor Draymond has ever requested a trade from Golden State? Do you think that it's bizarre that Jason Tatum has never requested a trade from? The Boston Celtics, okay, maybe that's not the best example because the Celtics have been good, but the point remains, like, players don't want to be in shitty situations because it goes back to them having a very, very small window to actually make, to cement their legacy. As much as they don't talk about it, I do think that players care about their legacy. And you don't want to spend time with an organization that has bad vibes. Like, also, look at it from your perspective as, like, an employee. If there is a better opportunity that comes around for you, are you not going to take it? If you're making 60 grand as a manager in like a restaurant or as like a retail or as like a retail manager, and then, you know, you get an offer from a company that's paying a hundred grand for another managerial position, are you going to have any loyalty to that company? No, you're going to do what's best for you. When you feel that you're involved in a toxic situation at work and you start filling out applications to go elsewhere, are you thinking about loyalty? No, you're not. You're thinking about what's best for you. And the disconnect is between the idea that us working class people are not being paid tens of millions of dollars a year. So there is no like solidarity in that regard, but it is the same thing just on a larger scale. So I'm not someone who believes that like players being traded is a bad thing or players wanting to be traded is a bad thing. Anyone who's doing that just doesn't like the whole just anyone who's doing that just doesn't like that players are able to pick their situations and to go to the situation that best suits them. They simply don't like that. And I think we're going to close it out with this final story from LeBron. So LeBron, the NBA's new leading Point score. I don't think I've talked about this on. I don't think I've talked about that on air since it happened. I'm still getting used to it. Anytime someone mentions LeBron as the NBA's all-time leading scorer, I'm like, holy fuck, that actually happened. I cannot believe that it actually happened. So super dope. Um, very awesome. But he was at All Star Weekend this past weekend and said that these games coming up this season are the most important games of his career. 
hard to think that a guy who has gone to the Olympics, who's won multiple gold medals at the Olympics, who's won four NBA championships, who had that, you know, who in 2012, the most important games of his career were against the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference semifinals. That was a legacy-defining series for LeBron. Why would he come out and say something like this about some regular season games for a mid-organization? It's He said, quote, it's 23 of the most important games of my career for the regular season. Of course, that was something not included in the headline, but I'm just, you know, bearing the lead a little bit. That's the type of mindset that I have, and I hope the guys will have coming off the break. I'm going to figure out ways to make sure I'm available and on the floor for every single one of those 23 games. So right now, LeBron is talking like this because the Lakers are... 13th in the Western Conference. They are 27 and 32. They are only one game back, two games back in the loss column of the play-in. They are three games back in the loss column from being the sixth seed and four games back in the loss column of being the fourth seed. So the Western Conference is uber competitive. There is so much going on right now between the sixth seed and like the 13th seed which the Lakers are um yeah it's 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 ridiculous now he's saying this because I don't know why he's saying this honestly I think it just comes down to him you know being competitive and you know wanting to be the best of all time where anytime he doesn't make the playoffs he he views it as a failure even though all things considered this Lakers roster for the first half of the season was not really equipped to make the playoffs. Then you have Anthony Davis missing time. You have Russell Westbrook again being the square peg trying to be forced into a round hole. Minimal depth. Nothing really happening much. You have a brand new head coach. But then the trade deadline happens. Russell Westbrook is swapped out for D'Angelo Russell, Malik Beasley, and Jared Vanderbilt. Now all of a sudden, this team is looking significantly different at least on paper at least on paper now getting to the playoffs of course is one thing but I think that LeBron is the type of guy to recognize that he is obviously LeBron James and when LeBron James gets into the playoffs anything can happen especially in this Western Conference where really the only legitimate contender in the Western Conference is Denver I think that Denver is the only team that really should be representing the Western Conference because they are better than everybody else. But any of these other teams meet in the playoffs, it can go either way. You know, even if the Lakers are an eighth seed, or even if the Lakers are the seventh seed, I should say, and they go up against Memphis or Dallas or Sacramento or somebody, it's going to be tough to look at the Lakers and not think that they're, you know, and not see a world in which they pull that off, especially if LeBron is healthy, especially if Anthony Davis is healthy. I also forgot to mention the Phoenix Suns in that regard as well. I think that Phoenix and Denver are the two best teams in the Western Conference, especially after that trade. But still, anything is possible. Anything is possible, even though Phoenix has Kevin Durant, because we know how much chemistry plays a role in teams being good in the postseason. Like, chemistry is as important as talent. So, I think um, I think he's, you know, kind of just playing the media at this point. Are they the most important regular season games of his career? I don't think so because his legacy is already cemented. You know, if he was saying this in 2011 or 2012, you know, he's 10 years younger. He's closer to 30, like still looking for that first championship. Then I would understand it. But like LeBron is very far and away. One of the greatest players of all time. Again, on the Mount Rushmore of basketball, you could make the case that he's the greatest of all time. I think he's at least top three. I mean, if you even want to go as low as top five, like he is in that upper echelon of NBA greats. So I think he's just, you know, I think he's just playing the media game. Obviously, I don't think he's going to mail it in. I really do think that, you know, he feels that this is legacy defining, even though it's really not. And he also does, again, want to get into the playoffs just to see what can happen. But I don't buy it that these are the that these are the most important regular season games of his career. Uh, uh, yeah, I just I don't. Although it, you, listen, I will say this: it is very um, it is very cool to hear LeBron James talk about this and still like have that chip on his shoulder, even though he's a made man. Even though like yeah, already the 
one of the greatest of all time, four-time champion, four-time league MVP, NBA's all-time leading scorer. Like he could just have mailed in and said, "We'll see what happens." You know, we got a team, but go it can go either way in this league. So I really do think it's cool that he's also you know that he's still that he's still got that fire in him as an athlete, as a competitive person. I do also think he's doing it a little bit for everybody else on the roster. You know, they may be a little down in the dumps having come from Minnesota to LA and, you know, well, at least D'Angelo Russell is going back to LA, but yeah, um, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you guys so very much for coming to hang out with me today. Everything I'm associated with is down in the description box below Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, leave a like, hit the bell as well. So you get notified every time a new video is posted. If you're listening to this on an audio platform, uh, subscribe to it, leave a rating, leave a review, do whatever you can to engage with it. If you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend about it. If you didn't enjoy this episode, also tell a friend about it. And with that, I will catch y'all in the next one.